Glad you're here. About to celebrate the holidays. Uh, Christmas is a great season of rest and celebration. It's also a time where you get out of your routines and there's a temptation to drift a little bit or maybe a lot of it from Jesus. And my goal this morning is to root you deep in the truth of who Jesus is, the reality of who he is. And uh, typically when we would approach Sundays like this, we may think that the sermon needs to be more devotional in nature, but I'm going to go a different direction and um, give you some depth to kind of root you in Christmas season in the sense where you see that Jesus is worth persevering during the times of suffering and trials you may be facing, that he is worth everything. And so we're going to go pretty deep this morning, so be ready to engage, and let's ask the Lord to speak to us through his word. Let's pray. Father, you know us, you see us, you know us better than we know ourselves, you know our doubts and our struggles and our trials, and you've never left us. I just ask that you would give us the ability to persevere and to press on and to continue to follow you as your people have throughout history. And may you uh, awaken us and encourage us in special areas of our lives today that you are worth it, Jesus, to press on in holiness, to press on following you no matter what else is going on. And I just ask that you would speak this morning through your word and ignite steadfastness within us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, how many of you have seen whales um, swimming and breaching outside of SeaWorld? Uh, yeah, okay, a few of you. Uh, I, I haven't seen them outside of SeaWorld, uh, but I've seen clips where you have uh, portions of the whale showing his massive body on top of the water, I don't know, like a tail or a fin, and then a large chunk of its side. And then all of a sudden, you're there to see what everybody comes to see, and that is the, the breaching, the jumping out of the water so you can get a whole glimpse of the whole whale. It's awesome. It's, it's, it's what it's all about. You saw portions of it. You saw it skimming along. But when the fullness came out, it was an amazing splendor. And the connection I want to make uh, with this concept that I'll mention uh, a few times today is that just as a, a well is slowly gliding along the water, slowly emerging bit by bit over and over again until the, the full breach is visible, so there has been a plan of God that has been uh, revealing itself slowly bit by bit over uh, the history uh, of the world that we have seen in the Bible, and, and it finally unfolds in the fullness and the emergence of Jesus Christ. From Genesis onward, there are hints in the Bible that a Messiah, a Deliverer, is coming. And you have hints of it in a variety of books in the Old Testament. And you see it bit by bit, and it finally culminates uh, in Jesus Christ, his incarnation, his uh, death and resurrection and exaltation. And we'll see it finally culminate when he comes back uh, the second time. So it's not like the Old Testament has one plan, and then when you show up in the New Testament, you're like, oh my goodness, Jesus, a Messiah? Wow, we didn't see that coming at all. 
That's not what happened, because there is this one unified vision from the Old Testament to the New Testament that is centered on the Messiah, Jesus. The Bible offers a consistent and progressively revealed plan. You'll see visible portions of it until it finally emerges in Jesus Christ. So our text this morning is going to be the whole Bible. And since we don't have time to cover every single book and see the Messiah emerging bit by bit, we're going to look at four pinnacle passages in the Old Testament where the emergence of the whale of God's plan seems to be further clarified and expanded. It's a piggyback off the sermon last week. Uh, Curtis Watson preached last week. He preached a genealogy, show you that Jesus is, is coming from a certain line. He's rooted in the Old Testament. And we're going to continue to root you in the Old Testament this morning. And one of the, the I wish I could have brought someone along with me, uh, a, a professor years ago had an influence on me. His name was Walter Kaiser. I took a class through him. And I've shared some of this before with you, but it really helped me understand a lot of what uh, it means to see the Messiah or Jesus in the Old Testament. And he, he has these four pinnacle passages that he, he walked us through as a, as a smaller class. And I really appreciate them. So I'm going to share a little bit this morning from uh, some of his thoughts. But the movement we're going to see of God's plan emerging in the Old Testament is going to be summed up in these big words. I'm going to put them up for you. Um, first, it's going to start with the Garden of Eden, or Edenic. Then we're going to move to the aftermath of the flood through Noah's family, through one of his sons, Shem. We'll call that Shemitic. On to the promise made to Abraham, Abrahamic. And then finally to King, King David and Davidic. And throughout these passages, I want you to, to, to latch on to one concept. You'll understand it a little bit. And the concept's going to be uh, the, something called the Christmas seed. The Christmas seed. It may be confusing right now, but that will make sense here in a little bit. This concept of the Christmas seed that throughout the Old Testament, it's culminating up until the birth of Jesus Christ. And since there's just a few of us here this morning, it's going to kind of be a less of a sermon and more of a Bible study format as we're going to dive into the Old Testament and then dip into the New Testament for the full emergence of Jesus Christ and his kingdom. So let's go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 3. We're going to be in different passages here this morning. So if you're a Baptist, you're going to love it. We're going to turn to different passages. So let's start with Genesis chapter 3. Last night I was watching the news. And there was a town, apparently, who had an ugly Christmas tree in the town, and the town people were dogging on their own Christmas tree. And they decided that it's a very ugly Christmas tree that they needed to make it look better. So the town came together and decorated it and made it look, the ugly tree look nice. And then the newscaster said, that's what Christmas is all about. My wife and I rolled our eyes like, whatever. Uh, no. <laughs> What is Christmas about? Yeah, it's about Jesus coming to this earth, bringing salvation with him. Now, I want to make sure that you really understand this because uh, we often say the birth of Christ and we're not thinking about the implications. So I want to help you think of the implications. When we talk about the birth of Jesus, we're going to start from the book of Genesis and we're going to see that from the beginning in Genesis that this baby, are you ready for this? Are you ready for this? This baby will come to crush. This baby will come to crush. 
The book of Genesis speaks about the creation of the world. Remember Adam and Eve? And at the beginning of chapter 3, the serpent is seen as one who has come to wreak havoc among God's uh, human creatures. And this evil serpent, Satan, ends up deceiving Eve to eat the forbidden fruit. And she, in turn, shares the fruit with Adam, and he eats away. And humanity rebels against God and is plunged into sin. And this is known as the fall, which is not an accident. It's an intentional rebellion against God. And so afterward, God hands out curses to the man and to the woman, but he also hands out curses to Satan. And it's God's curse on Satan that introduces a word of hope for fallen creatures in the plan of God. So let's see it in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So strife would be between Satan and the woman, specifically between Satan's offspring and the woman's offspring. And the word offspring, if I don't know if you do this much, I told you it's going to be more of a Bible study. Look at the footnote. Do you have an ESV Bible there? Look at the footnote, if you have that, verse 15, for offspring. Look down there. It says the Hebrew word seed. You see it? The Hebrew word seed. And the word offspring is the same as the word seed, which is a collective noun, a way to describe descendants, plural, or a descendant, singular. Now, at the end of the verse, the seed or the offspring is narrowed to the singular. Look again at the end of verse 15. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So a future male descendant from Eve would crush Satan's head. And Satan would only be able to bruise his heel. And the question we have is, who will be this future seed? Would it be one of Eve's sons? Would it be Cain or Abel, Enoch or Seth? I mean, they weren't able to overthrow Satan and the serpent and his resulting deception. And we know the answer while we're here. The, the, the answer is that the future seed offspring of the woman is the Christmas seed, the one we celebrate this year, Jesus Christ. Only he is able to crush Satan and deal with sin. Now, I know some of you have seen The Passion of the Christ years ago uh, where Jesus is in the, the, the garden. He's praying. Remember that scary scene where you have the snake, the serpent, slithering around, trying to mess with him and tempt him, and then Jesus stands up with the resolve to go to the cross, and there's that great scene where he takes his heel and he digs it into the head of the serpent. And when I saw that, I was like, yes, Genesis 3.15. Anybody else do that? Genesis 3.15, right there. It's what has been called commonly um, proto-evangelium. Maybe you've heard that word before. Or first gospel. Because it's referring to Jesus Christ and his victory over Satan. He is the promised seed who delivered the fatal blow to Satan in the crucifixion. And Satan was only able to bruise his heel because Christ rose victoriously. So through Jesus' death, resurrection, he conquers Satan and the sin resulting from his deception. And that's good news. So when we celebrate this baby being born, just remember, this is a baby who crushes, who crushes Satan 
and the sin resulting from deception who frees me from my sin, frees all of those who repent of their sin in here. And this is Genesis 3.15. This is before John 3.16. Genesis 3.15. You have a little emergence of the whale, of the plan of God. You see, it's, it's showing its head pretty, and its fin pretty quickly there, uh, right after the fall. Genesis 3.15 of this Christmas seed, the baby who crushes. Well, let's keep going. Genesis 9.27. Let's go ahead and turn to the Shemitic. Genesis 9.27. Turn over if you can. Now we move on to the story of the flood. And I know that children, there's some children in here, they love to hear the story of Noah and the ark. It has a, has a song, who built the ark? Noah, Noah, who built the ark? Brother Noah built the ark. Isn't that a great song? It's, it's not the greatest bedtime story, by the way. God is drowning humanity. I mean, do we really know what we're reading or reading? It's okay you read it at night if you stress the grace of God. It's, a, it's an image of God pouring out massive judgment and yet his grace. And so we have this leftover family who emerges from the ark. Uh, uh, you're going to keep reading the story to your children. Um, Noah has a drunken incident uh, after coming out of the ark. And Ham, one of his children, acted scandalously. We won't go into the details, but Shem and Japheth were were his good sons. So let's look at the words of Noah, very upset at his son, Ham, but also what he says concerning Shem and Japheth. Let's look at Noah's words in Genesis 9, verse 25. He said, curse it be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth, and let him dwell in the tents of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. Now, the emphasis I want you to notice is in verse 27. I want to make sure you see it there. Verse 27 says, let him dwell in the tents of Shem. Who is the him a reference to? You ever seen this before? Who's the him? Read it again. Let him dwell in the tents of Shem. Who, who's the him? Well, look, look at the, the, the broader context. It says, may God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem. The him is a reference here to God. And the point is that God's dwelling and blessing will be among the offspring of Shem. The Shemites, or as we would say, the Semites. And Walter Kaiser, a professor I had, I'm going to have a quote for this. This is kind of a long quote. I don't rarely do this, but hey, it's a Bible study. This is what Walter Kaiser says concerning um, this passage. He says, the word for dwell is related to the later concept of Mosaic theology of the Shekinah glory of God, wherein the presence of God over the tabernacle was evidenced by the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. Hence, the man Shem would be the one through whom the seed promised earlier in 3.15 would now come. So the will of God's plan emerges, and it's showing the dwelling of God is not among Ham or Japheth, but through the line of Shem. The Messiah will come through the line of Shem, and we know that through Jesus Christ, though he was fully God and though he was fully man, he was also a descendant of Shem. 
And this can be seen in the New Testament genealogy of Jesus in Luke 3.36. The son of Canaan, the son of Arphaxad, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech. So we have the well of God's plan emerging a little bit more. You see a fin, you see a tail, you see that this is a baby that's going to come and the baby's going to crush. And the baby is going to come through the line of Shem. We're not done. Let's keep going. Abraham. Abrahamic. Turn to Genesis chapter 12. Go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 12. We have a certain promise made to Abraham that is so significant because it further builds upon the seed whom we have seen so far to be a male descendant of Eve who will crush the serpent's head and descendant of Shem. Now we have Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Let me read it to you. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Great story. Abraham is going to be blessed by God in becoming a great nation and having a great name in order for God to bless those who bless Abraham and curse those who dishonor him. Now, God is going to bless Abraham and make him a blessing to the nations. Look at verse 3 once again. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Make sure you get this. In you, Abraham, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So we have a little bit of Old Testament uh, missiology, uh, uh, context for missions in the Old Testament here. Now, let's just kind of get real. I can see how God can bless Abraham and give him many descendants as a nation, but how can God use Abraham to bless all the families of the earth? How are the wicked nations of the earth going to be blessed through Abraham? And the answer we've been talking about, belaboring this point this morning, is the answer is the Christmas seed. It is through the seed of Abraham that all the families on the earth will be blessed. Genesis 22, listen to this. God says this to Abraham. God says to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Now, Apostle Paul picks up on this, and this is kind of deep, but this is good. The Apostle Paul picks up on this in the book of Galatians. The Apostle Paul says, Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring, who is Christ. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring would come to whom the promise had been made, and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. So it is through Jesus, the promised seed, that the nations of the world are blessed through faith in him. The baby in the manger is come to save and be a savior of the world. This is seen way back in Genesis and the life and story of Abraham and the promises to Abraham. Now, what we see in Genesis is supposed to be a a, a mission that goes out to the world through Jesus Christ. And it's something that is still to continue until the day. And the question I have for you is, what we see in Genesis chapter 3, what we see in the life of Shem and the life of Abraham, that Jesus is to be a worldwide blessing, that means this gospel is to go out. So here in 2014, as we approach 2015, Do you still believe 
that Jesus Christ is the hope and the blessing for the salvation of the world. That this gospel has to get out and that no matter what, we will risk our lives, we will risk our money, we will risk everything we have to get this gospel out. Is this something we still believe? So the whale of God's plan is emerging. It's progressing through time. The seed's going to be a male descendant who crushes from the line of Shem, blessing the nations. Now, the last one we're going to see is that this seed, the seed will be a king. The seed will be a king. Second Samuel, chapter 7, Davidic. Let's go to Davidic. Well, this is the last one. Second Samuel 7. Uh, we've been studying 1 Samuel, so we're going to pop in 2 Samuel for a little visit. The story comes from uh, David. Remember this story? David wants to build a temple for the house of God. Nathan the prophet says, David, do your thing. Go ahead and build it. But God interrupts the proposed building project in a dream. And God says that David is not to build him a house. But God is going to build David a house. Great story. Let's look at this promise starting in chapter 7 of 2 Samuel in verse 11. We'll start at the end of verse 11. It says, Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now, the Lord says in verse 11, the Lord will make you a house. Doesn't it kind of sound like, oh, David, I'm going to make you this little house outside of Jerusalem. You're going to love it, and it's going to be the greatest house. Uh, No, (laughs) because the house that God is talking about is a house that's going to come after his death. I'm going to give you this great house after you die. Does it make sense? He's not talking about a physical house. He's, he's talking more about a dynasty or an ongoing line of descendants that David's offspring or his seed who would come after him would build a temple. His name was, remember, Solomon. And the throne of his kingdom will be established forever. But if you remember, Solomon didn't last forever. He died. So how is it that, that we're going to have this forever throne? I mean, we don't really have a perpetual line of kings. That kind of phased out as well in in Jerusalem. Uh, It doesn't seem to be a descendant who's going to, you know, live for a while, reign, and then die like Solomon. No, no. Once again, what we're getting at here is the Christmas seed. It's referring to one of the descendants of King David, like Solomon, who built the temple. But this is a descendant we know as Jesus Christ who will reign forever. It's the Christmas seed. Jesus prophesied way, way, way back in 2 Samuel. And we show up at Christmas time, and we see that Jesus was born as a king, and he reigns on his throne forever and ever. And this is what the angel said to Mary concerning the birth of her son. Luke chapter 1. Luke 1 says, And behold, you will receive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. 
and of his kingdom there will be no end. We got a hint of that back in 2 Samuel, that this baby in a manger is going to be a king with an everlasting kingdom. And so this is something that showed up in the Old Testament, manifested in Christ, who is the Christmas seed. We saw the whale of God's plan emerging to a fully breached out in Jesus Christ. And so now as believers, we just don't acknowledge Jesus as king like we acknowledge the president of the United States, but we bow to Jesus as our Lord and our king. And as this king, does he still have full reign in your life? As you approach Christmas, as you approach the new year, and you may be making plans for a fresh start, does your fresh start factor in the kingship and lordship of Jesus Christ? Whatever plans you have to shift your life, does it factor in the lordship and kingship of Jesus Christ? This is a king prophesied in the Old Testament, manifested as a baby who's come to crush and a baby who's come to reign. So let's put it all together. The Christmas seed is a male descendant of Eve who came to crush Satan and deal with sin. She's coming, he's coming from the line of Shem. He's blessing the nations, and he's a king of an everlasting kingdom. And I'm hoping that this perspective gives some depth to your Christmas celebration, gives some depth to your life as you may be getting out of routine over the break. You may feel like waffling. That this is something that's been going on, a plan of God manifested in the Old Testament and shown up in Jesus Christ, and his reign is still real today. And so if you feel like you're, you're off, you may be tempted to drift away, we've got to keep coming back to this Christmas seed This Jesus, this one who's come to save us from our sins, this king who's still reigning and ruling. And so may this not be a Christmas time to drift, but may this be a time to grow and root ourselves deep in the reality of the Christmas seed, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Thank you for your promises, Father, that they are manifested way, way long ago, culminating in the birth of your son, Jesus, who came to deal with our sin, the crushing Satan, dying on the cross. Thank you so much. This is not a blessing that is meant to terminate on us, but this is a worldwide blessing. We pray for our missionaries as they will spread the gospel today and over this Christmas season, even in the midst of hardship and suffering. We ask for wisdom for ourselves to share the gospel with those who do not know you, that this is meant as a blessing for them to repent and put their faith in Jesus. And Lord, may we submit to your rule and your reign as king over our lives, and we long to see you one day. But until then, May we have our hearts fixated on you, the one who's come to redeem and rescue us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.